We want to take a quick second to tell you about our friends over at Cycle CPA. I can't even express to you how important it is to have a good accountant on your side. You know you want accurate bookkeeping and financial statements every month. Instead, you're often left with limited time to focus on the accounting side of your business and no reports to show for it. At Cycle CPA, the landscaping accountants, they not only handle the bookkeeping, but also provide landscape industry benchmarking, job costing, financials by service line, advisory meetings, and much more. Cycle CPA has a team of landscaping accountants available to provide anything from bookkeeping to CFO services. Visit CycleCPA.com and for $100 off, mention the Million Dollar Landscaper podcast. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Landscaper podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring on today's guest. Today, we have Rich Johnson. He's the owner of Johnson Landscape Manufacturing and also the owner of Johnson Landscape Maintenance. We also have David Sen, who's also his operations manager and designer over at JLM. And today, I'm excited to bring him on because we are going to be chatting about organization in your landscaping. We're going to be talking about productivity and efficiency in your landscaping business because it is so, so important. You know, you could be doing millions of dollars of landscape uh, work every year and bringing all kinds of money. But if your crew is not efficient, not doing things in a good order, and you're getting callbacks and all kinds of issues, you're not going to have any money. So today's guest, we're going to chat a little bit about that. They're a owner of a small family owned landscape business. They've been doing this for over 20 years, guys, 20 years. So this is going to be an episode you do not want to miss. Uh, and like I said, they also own the Johnson Landscape Manufacturer. And they so they create products that not only help keep your business organized, but also keep the productivity up. And we're going to go into that here a little bit. So welcome, Rich. Welcome, David. Thank you guys for being on the show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having us. We're just hoping we can be a benefit for somebody. Yeah. And a little before we started here, guys, I want to share with you, these guys are on, you know, this landscape business, like I said, for 20 years, but they are like what you consider like your typical average size landscape company, you know, the 300 to $500,000 range, as, as Rich said. And this is awesome. I love hearing this kind of input from people, you know, we do get on other guests that, you know, different levels. So it's always kind of nice to have a different perspective from whatever level of business they're at. So I love having you guys on here. Yeah, they must great. And that's really where we like it. Yep. You know, sometimes a lot more, you know, sometimes better, sometimes worse, but, but yes. So Rich, you mind just sharing a little bit of a background on, you know, the landscaping side and then kind of a little bit what got you started in the manufacturing side of things and what you actually manufacture? Sure. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. In a brief nutshell, really what got us going is I was living in Valparaiso. This, this is Northwest Indiana, where we're at. And it's a, a slower community. Basically, we were living there. I was working in uh, human resources for United States Steel. So I was a technical training specialist for U.S. Steel. And that was when my degree finished up, we went there. So while we were living in this little subdivision, my wife grew up in a more rural area, much more rural. Long story short, she said, you know what? If we moved out, we had some land. You know, we could do a lot more. You could ride your dirt bikes and stuff like that. There's, oh, that's a great idea. So what do I do? I go buy a dirt bike. You know, because I used to race motocross. So we, I did that. Basically, from there, we found a home, and we moved out into a small town called Westville. And they gave me about five acres of land. And of course, what do you do? I've always liked to have a little business. But what do we like to do? I said, you know what? It'd be great. It's the hell business. And we've got this great big yard we have to fix and mold. So I went and bought a mower and trailer and had this stuff for my own spot. And then I said, gosh, I need a pickup truck. So I bought a Dakota and I can fix everything. So we, we did all the repairs on it. And that's what started. 
And a friend said, hey, I need some help mower yard. Can you come help me? I said, sure. So I had my first zero-turn mower, which is a little X-Mark 60-inch mower. And it just kind of grew from there. And once I had that, they started doing little things in the side saying, you know, I got to pay for all this stupid, expensive mower and this that and that. You know what I mean? So we just started working a little bit at a time. And then I really started to enjoy it. So after a little while, about 11 years after I was working at U.S. Steel, it went from there you know, and had this home in Westville. Basically what it is, I was starting here in about three years, maybe four years, of living here in this five-acre plot of land. I started growing a little bit here, doing a little bit more for somebody else, and a little bit more for somebody else. And then all of a sudden, U.S. Steel comes on and says, you know what, we're laying people off. And I knew that was coming. That's the nature of the steel industry in our area. It has ups and downs. So needless to say, after my 11th year, I was on my downswing. I knew it was coming. I have a really good boss. He said, the changes in the wind. So as I built this little tiny fledgling business, I had five kids living here. Now, one day he came to wife and said, you know what? I guess it's over. We're going to start landscaping. I enjoy doing it. So we just started right there. Nice. So I had that little Dodge Dakota, one single axle trailer, a mower, and a push mower, and a few things. Get a lot of desire. And so we just took the leap of faith of all five of those kids, left U.S. Steel, and then started the business. And from there, it was like I worked nonstop because I had five children at home to take care of and my wife and I to grow. So it was very busy. It would be, goodness, you know, uh, in fact, I was, I was doing this while I was at U.S. Steel. So imagine going to U.S. Steel at 6, get off at 3, come home at 4, get my truck, go out and work. Sometimes I'd be working until 11 at night. I put lights on my mowers so I could work at night. And that's just what I did. So you just kind of kept growing and talking to people. So in a nutshell, it was just hard work and a lot of effort and perseverance. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it takes in this business because there's a lot of people that'll do it for less. Mine, I was trying to be right. Hadn't learned about numbers yet. Still trying to just make ends meet. Uh, it was just a lot of hard work. So imagine going from full-time job, comfortable insurance and everything, to Allison going, you this is what you got. Yeah. And then just started working. So a little lengthy there, but that's basically what it is. We just started right from a Dodge Dakota, single axle trailer, <laughs> 16 X mark mower, a push mower, weed whacker in the backpack mower, and I just started doing maintenance. And then it just grew from there. Nice. What types of services do you provide nowadays? Well, now it's kind of grown quite a bit since then. We're still in maintenance. Maintenance is our heaviest area. But because once I started going, we started, and this is something I did different than probably most, and it's good or bad, like it or dislike. For me, it was if I can't buy it and pay for it right then, I didn't buy it. So my first Bobcats track loader, I, or my first truck we bought was in 2003. And that one, I did take a loan out, but I paid that back in six months. You know, we, that was our first truck because that's another whole story of the Dakota and plowing snow. That was, like, <laughs> I never forget the Christmas, I was out plowing snow. <laughs> So right now, our, our main emphasis is, I could say, you know, it's kind of interesting. We do driveways. We've done land clearing. We've done uh, soil jobs. We've done basins for homes. We've done septic systems. That's why I was doing certified as septic. Tree removal. We actually did a road for a subdivision. They had a, was it 40 or 50 feet or 100 feet? I don't know. They had struggle connector road. As a connector road, a subdivision hired just for it. Because at that point, we had grown where we had with track loaders and excavators and the bobcats and dump trucks. You know, we had a lot of the equipment by that time. Sure. But again, that started very low. So each year, I would try and acquire something else that would make my job easier. 
We do stub grinding now because we have a stub grinder. We have a, a diesel wood chipper that we use for, you know, land air job. Not a typical small hand. But imagine though we started from just a little bit. So each year I'd go, okay, what's in the budget? What can I afford this year that will make my life easier and make it more efficient? And so each year we tried to acquire something new. Now, the first thing for me was a little Coyote uh, 35 horse tractor. And you know what? Uh, if I was in the same boat again today, I would tell somebody to start out with a, a garden tractor about a mid-sized 35 horse because that tractor put us into just going on everything. I can't even tell you how many yard installs we did with that little uh, 35 horse on Coyote tractor with a tiller and stuff and that Harley rake in the back. Nice. And then the front end loader, oh my gosh. I can't tell you how many tons of dirt and stone and mulch that that little tractor moved for us. Yeah. You know, when I first got it. So I still say that was one of my best investments at that time. You know, so yeah, to answer your question, we do a lot of maintenance, but that maintenance isn't just mowing. You know, we did hardscapes for a while. We've done some patios. We've done retaining walls. We've done a lot of drain tile work and swale work, you know, for remediation of water. We do quite a bit of that. Mm-hmm. It, it, we're still doing a lot of it. Recently, like we talked about earlier, you reach in nature trails. Then we've been doing a lot of trail building. David's great and says that we have built bridges. You know, we're doing boardwalks. Nice. We can draw up. David just gets on the computer. I said, this is what we got to do. Nice. Draw it up. He draws it up, puts it together, and we can send it off to the customer with just rudimentary software. Now, David uses uh, Fusion 360, yep. which is a CAD software. It just draws it really neat. Yes. I didn't spend a lot of money on high-end, let's call it landscape software, because it, I didn't see it, the need for it in what I was doing. Right? So basically, there's where we're at. You know, it's a mix. Where you collect sure. it. Mix. <laughs> now, in your area, is it, do you mainly service all just, I know you said Westville, it's kind of a rural area. Do you serve any other areas or is it all pretty much rural area that you do serve? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. A lot of the times we're in basically like our Westville, Laporte, Porter County, mm-hmm. let's call it Porter County, Laporte County. Uh, we've done some work in Lake County. We've even gone down as far as, was it Rochester? Did one job in Rochester. Did a, you know, some kind of a little, little water wall and a gene wall and walkway. You know, so nice. okay. let's say within that 100 mile radius. Now, oddly enough, I've had a few calls because we have quite a collection of equipment now. A solar panel company just got a hold of us now last year, and we did running 500 foot of trenching okay. with one of our tracked trenchers to uh, so they could install cable lines. Really eclectic. I have to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, well, the, the solar panels seem to be popping up, at least here in, in Lake County. It's popping up all over. I know my dad's for his landscape business has gone out there, graded them, and started maintaining them and stuff too. They're popping up all over. Everywhere. The largest solar field in the country is in my town of Stark County. Okay. Yeah. Stark and Plastic together. This area is big for solar for some reason. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. I know here in Maryville, there's another solar field farm coming in here pretty soon. So yeah, it's it's just crazy. It's a nice little market, I guess, if you can get in there and maintain it and do whatever. It's it's a little difficult to maintain. I'll say that from our side when we had it for a while, it's a <laughs> kind of a pain. But oh yeah, it, it's definitely got some issues. But on the landscape side, uh, our school here just recently put in the landscape. Let's say we that was two years ago. They put in the solar panel setup. Okay. And for us as landscapers. It was nice because once all that was in, they needed remediation of all the soil around the uh, panels. And that's something that we, as a landscaper, we came in with smaller equipment in Harley Rakes and cleaned up all around the field, yep. you know, all around the uh, solar panels. We did that. Nice. This brings us to another thing. So you want to talk about an eclectic. Uh, one of the other things we did is a soccer field for the school. 
Westville School needed a soccer field. And they had this mountain of dirt that we ended up moving probably four or five, six hundred yards. It's got to be more than that. We were there three straight meetings, three, three front end loaders that we got. You know, I had a big one. So we had to level it out, crown the field, get it graded, get it leveled, you know, all smooth, compacted, and then set. So you actually had drainage. Nice. That comes in where you have education and learning. The old cliche statement, knowledge is power, right? Yep. So again, with that knowledge, just learning a little bit, how to set your grades, how to set use your laser. Most of us in the landscape world, we should have it. We should be able to use a laser. We should be able to use a, a board. Now, we've gotten lazy, and I just use what they call a zip level. And the zip line level is probably one of our favorite tools because it's quick and dirty. Simple, simple. Yeah, I like it because it's one person, especially if you're doing estimates. You can go out there and see your heights really quick and easy with that versus always had to bring somebody along if I had to get some measurements of the old uh, laser or whatever. No laser in the stick. We have to just did a job the other day where we were repairing a drainage tile out of a basement and the fall of the land went from five feet where he had initially found where the fog was to zero in about 30 feet of run. <laughs> the zip level was ideal because it was extremely hard to control the trencher by eye and no ways you're going about. Yeah. So, you know, that there's one of those tools for, uh, you know, let's call it the budget-friendly landscaper that's easy to teach his, his employees because they can read the zip level very easy. So if you were to put a plug in for, yeah, it's not an advertisement for zip line <laughs> or zip level, but I'll tell you that that tool is great for when we do walls or we do anything that's fast and dirty. That's exactly it. Trying to get somebody to understand the concept of using the transit and you have to like almost, I don't know, I tell people you got to almost think in reverse. Power to it. Yeah, it's power to do it. It is reverse. It is. And you have to think about it that way. We have to teach in that and we have one still. We still use Dave Mouse, still use that if we need to when we're going deep. Mm-hmm. You know, deeper than we can reach to the zip up because we've done some deep drunch, uh, you know, six, eight, nine feet deep drain tile trenches. And when you, I'll tell you what, zip level for that, for the landscapers are just, it's a great tool. How about that? <laughs> it's, it's well worth the investment. Well worth it. <laughs> it, it you know, that's one tool that's easy to teach a lot of people and it's fast. Yeah. yeah. So just curious now, you, you, yeah. you started creating, you know, you had your landscape business and you decided you're going to start getting into some of the manufacturing side of things. You mind sharing a little bit? What got you into that and actually what you are producing and what, what types of products do you guys have? Yeah, you know, that, that's a kind of a, a nice story because really, in our landscape business, you know, like cars, and so I do a lot of mechanical work. Uh, David's been on a farm most of his life, so he knew mechanical work. Yeah, it's just second nature. So for us, again, going back to the landscaper, it's really, really important to understand how to repair and maintain your own equipment. Because one of the things that has really brought us dividends or bought us dividends is the fact that we can maintain all of our equipment. That's just from trucks, trailers, our mowers, our small power equipment. You just got to learn how to do that. You got to know how to take care of the basics. We've done injury belts on our mowers. We've done pump changes, everything. I read almost a lot more from spare cars. Yeah, for <laughs> what's on the shelf. Yeah, because that, that's imperative. You have to know how to take care of that stuff. I, I mean, Maybe there's a lot of companies out there that source out everything, but I don't know how they can afford to do that. Yeah. Again, this is what you write. You have a brief about this. I can make a ton of money, but it's not how much I make. It's how much I keep in my pocket. And the one way to keep that money in my pocket is being knowledgeable enough to understand how to do some of my repairs, mm-hmm. understand how to do that. So all we did is everything we tried to look at is what can I do that will save me a penny? What can I do that will save me? First, it's a dollar. Then it's a 
I have 50 cents, then it's a quarter, then it's a dime, then it's a penny. So what can I do that's going to save me a penny, right? Mm -hmm. What can I do that's going to be 1% better today than I was yesterday? The whole business mantra has got to be set up on what can I do better today than I did yesterday? Whether that's learning numbers, what your business you run on, or learning how to repair your own stuff. So everything in our shop, we eventually got to the point where we said, hey, we got a flat tire. Okay, take the tire off, take it to the tire shop. I said, enough of that. We stopped that business really fast. Then we invested in our own tire machine. Then we invested in our own tire balancer. We invested in our own shop lift. So we could do our own tires here at the shop. We can balance our own tires. We can put our things on the lift. You no, know, we bought a big air compressor and stuff. Again, what can I do? That's going to be 1% better today than it was yesterday. Right? So everything we did, we started to do that. And so that comes into JLM. Here we are using a truck. I'm going to go do a mulch job. So I have my, you know, Ram 5500 dump truck with an 11-foot box. We're going to go do a small mulch job, maybe eight, nine yards. Fill the dump truck up with mulch. Okay, where do I do with the, the wheelbarrows or the tools that we're going to use to go move that mulch? Okay, well, I guess we take another truck in the trailer or I tow a trailer behind the dump truck. It becomes an issue. I got to park, get rid of the trailer, move the dump truck, and, and figure out what we need to do. For us, we decided, well, Biblostrations, they have this truck. I've got snowplow mounts on the front of that truck. Why don't we just develop something to carry our wheelbarrows or our plate compactor, or whatever we're doing, on the front of the truck so I can eradicate using a second truck or a trailer? Again, this is what can I do to save a, a dollar, a dime, a, a penny? It's all about being more efficient today than I was yesterday. So mm-hmm. over time, Dave and I developed this thing. We kind of drew up an idea. So this is what I'd like to do. So we drew up an idea and started making things that will slide into the first plow mounts of the trucks that we can utilize. So all of a sudden, now the dump truck, full of mulch. Scary, yes. We see a lot of people, you put your wheelbarrows, your wheelbarrows on top of the mulch pile. You got to climb up there. Then you got to worry about a guy falling out or risk and damn. And I'll tell you what, the lever years of U.S. Steel, when I dealt with the unions, I had to deal with a lot of you know safety incidents, and one injury is multiple years of expense, mm-hmm. right? So I don't want to have my employees hurt. You know, hated having to get up on there. That's why I was to the trailer. But now all of a sudden, dump truck full of mulch, wheelbarrows go in a basket that we made that goes in front of the dump truck. Nobody has to get up on top of it. The wheelbarrows are there. I use one truck. I love that. So now it's a small job that's going to be done. We've eradicated a truck. We can put three guys in the dump truck. They can go do this job and only have one truck, easy to park, no injuries, nobody's climbing on the top, easy to deal with. You can send the employee that can't tow a trailer now. Yes. Yep. You couldn't send it before. Yep. Does not every tow a trailer. Everybody that has tow a trailer knows that. Yeah. Yep. You know, speaking of the trailers portion, that's what we used to have, you know, the truck and trailer set up like normal for maintenance. And I, I convinced my dad, like, we need to look at these Isuzu trucks, you know, with the dovetail beds and stuff. And it, that was a game changer once we did that. That was, that's so nice because we didn't have to worry about the trailer issues. Like every morning, it seemed like I was fixing a trailer light or something connection they messed up or whatever. And then, yeah, you know, every single day, I'm like, let's do that and eliminate that. And then we didn't have to worry about the trailers backing up or jackknifing or whatever. It was so nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and it's funny you say that because, you know, we even looked at doing the Isuzus and the trucks. But what I tried to figure out is, can I use that to do multiple things? What I found for me in our in our small niche is that I can only use it for three seasons. I couldn't really get it for plowing. Unless I got the Mitsubishi Fuso, which is the four-wheel drive version, 
Then his problem was its carrying capacity was too light or its towing capacity was too light. Yeah. Um, so, but we didn't do that. But yes, we looked and that's a great idea for certain setups. Yeah. You know, and you do, you eradicate the trailers. Yeah, trailers yeah. are, let's, let's be honest, they're a headache. <laughs> they are. You know, and going to trailers, this is another thing. Again, trying to be more efficient, David, for a trailer adapter, a tester. So it's a, he's a computer power source. And we put it all he put it all together so we could plug it into the trailer and check our trailer brakes, check our trailer lights, brakes, turn signals, just a little module so we can test our trailers every year. Yeah, those commercial examples. There's some there. They're like two hundred bucks. We had the thing laying around. It was a water day, I had nothing better to do. So I made it. Build a tool. I did the same thing. I took a toolbox, an old toolbox, it had the flip up top there, and I put my switches in there, put a battery in there. And plugged it in the side because we had at the time my dad wanted two different types of plugs which was another story but <laughs> not going to get into that but yeah yeah we had two different plugs in there so you can use whatever trailer plug was there you can plug it in and test it but yeah i did the same thing because yeah and now they you said they have these units out there i'm like man that's another thing like could have made something like that a long time ago <laughs> No, I I love the fact that you guys took something like with the plow mounts and made something on there to make it more efficient, to make your yeah. crews, you know, safer and, and a little more organized. I love that idea. So imagine this too. We had going on the line, again, because I have that experience with US Steel and I was in the uh, technical training and resource, you know, resource development. Also, I dealt with the safety crews all the time in safety department because, you know, I had to deal with new employees. The biggest thing was just worrying about safety. Mm. So I didn't want to have anybody get hurt on my job. We're a small crew. If somebody's hurt on their job, that really makes an impact on our, our day. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a crew of, you know, 30 or 40 and one guy's gone, it's like, well, okay. But when you have, let's say, a small crew where we're running maybe five or six and one guy gets out because he's injured, you know, which we've had happen, you know, on occasions because just things happen. Yeah. That's a big deal. So one of the things we did is one of our trucks, let's talk about in the winter, one of our trucks that we used never plowed steel, but we put the plow mounts on it and made an adapter so you could put two of the Toro steel blowers on the front of the truck instead of in the back of the truck. Nice. In the back of the truck, we used it all for our salt. We do all the sidewalk salt in little buckets that they can have a pull-out tray. So one year, one, I saved the fact of somebody damaging the side of the truck, lifting this heavy steel blower over the side. Two, they didn't have to worry about somebody getting hurt. They didn't use my truck. Then there was hurt. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> And then this, the third thing was, is now the plows are, these little snowblowers are up in the front of the pickup, knee high, so they could pick them up and set them on the ground. The chances of getting hurt there were mitigated substantially. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we'll go back to the simplicity of, okay, what can I do that's it's just faster? Yeah. What's better? What, how can we make it 1% better today? And I'll tell you, again, I just bring this up for you. One of the best stories on the 1% rule is the British cycling team, right? The coach was led into this British cycling team. This was like 2003 or something. I can't remember the story you can find in the web. He came in and the only thing he did is they said, gosh, we got to make a change because the British cycling team was dismal. They were just horrific. They hired a new coach. The coach comes in and he says, we're going to make some changes. And all this coach did, because these are top athletes anyways. These guys are Olympic athletes. All he did was came in and he changed little tiny things. All he looked at was, what can we do that's 1% better for my team? What clothes are they wearing? What are they doing to their bicycles? One of the things they did in their trucks that hauled their bicycles out was paint the entire truck inside completely white. It was like a clean room for hauling their bikes to make sure that when the bikes got to the event, they were perfectly clean and no dust was on. They were just exact. 
we looked at bedding. So this principle is a great one for our uh, for people in the landscape industry to read. Just look up British cycling team coach one percent better. And all he did was just all the little things. Then they became one of the most uh, witty. They won the Tour de France. They won many events because of the little things. It, the principle applies to our landscape business absolutely the same. Mm-hmm. What can I do? One thing better today than I did yesterday. Emotionally, mentally, business-wise, it all goes together. You know? Well, and it seems to be, just from my experience, like it's almost a compounding effect when you start doing something here. Over time, it's just like, holy cow, that made a big difference. And you may not see it at first, but then all of a sudden, boom, it's like, holy cow, that helped out so much. It does. I know before on our previous conversation we had, we uh, even talked about just how your crews pull around your shop. You mentioned like how you designed it in a way it's, you know, the crews can pull around, pull, oh. pull in and awesome. Like that's the same thing we did. We made a circle path that the crews pull up, they fill up the trucks with fuel, they dump their stuff in the garbage and they pull around and park. It just made it, it made sense after like years of not having that. It's like, yeah, that was dumb. Like, why didn't we do that a long time ago? You know, but I love that. You mind expanding to what you guys did? No, it's interesting you said it because what we looked at is as the crews come back at that time, we were running three trucks, you know, three, three man crews all going out the main steep. As the end of the day, we'd come back. We had our main shop building. We had a small build at that time. They'd come back at the end of the day. You know, you look, unload the trailers, put everything away for the day, drive around. And we did have a, one gas pump at that time. They could fill up the trucks and then they'd just get parked. The next day they'd come in, they'd have to do the same thing. Load the trucks back up and it's morning. Everybody wants to talk, yada, yada. It's taking up time. They'd load them up again, then we'd get the thing, and then they'd take off. We started looking at how many, again, this goes back to minutes. How many minutes was each employee taking to unload the truck at the end of the day and then load the truck at the beginning of the next day? You know, by the time they got their stuff ready, by the time they put their fuel in their fuel cans, by the time they got their mowers and everything tied back down, because all our mowers, I see a lot of landscapers don't tie them down. Ours are all tied down. Everything we get is tied down. We started looking at that. How many minutes am I spending every day doing that job? And I know a lot of people use, you know, enclosed trailers for that reason. We chose not to use enclosed trailers because they get beat up. And then, you know, for a guy that's just learning to tow a trailer, one, they were more expensive. Two, it created that person that was driving. He had to be a lot more conscientious of where that trailer was. And sometimes that created blind spots when you're towing with an open trailer and it became released. So anyways, we didn't do the enclosed trailers. But we started looking at how much time was spent. And we decided, you know, but God's space, we have land, right? So we said, you know what? We're going to make that, just like you were talking about, a building that you can drive in one side and park here really all loaded and done. We have gas pumps. So we looked at that and how long it would take us to get our return on our investment for that building. And we decided it was going to be pretty darn fast. When you have three, six, nine, like almost 10 guys every morning spending, you know, a minute here and there and doing this. And we'd get our investment back fast enough. So we invested in a, a much larger building. Doors on one side, doors on the other side. At the end of the day, they'd come up, fill their truck up, fill the mowers up at the gas pumps because we invested in more, you know, larger uh, fuel tanks. And then they'd drive into the barn, get out of the truck, clock out, their cars parked right next to the barn in an employee parking area, and then they'd go home. The next morning, they'd come in, walk over to the barn, walk in, get them the truck that they had already prepared from last night before and take off. So, you know, it wasn't rocket science. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a simple thought of, okay, let's see what we're spending, coming and going. 
it's those little things, like you said, that make a difference. We, like you mentioned fuel. I think that alone is a huge time saver, especially if you have the area for it. Yeah. Like how much time your crew spend at the gas station getting donuts and coffee or whatever. And then only one guy's filling up. Uh, it was, that was a huge time saver and money saver for us. Yes. That was one of the, my first investments, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, before the building, because that's exactly what we looked at. The amount of time being spent. This is so, you know, we'd think that a lot of these things are very easy to look at, you know? Oh, that should make sense. It's some things, you know, we just don't look at, you know, we don't know, we don't know. But all of a sudden, when you start going, oh my gosh, that saves me quite a bundle. And it's better for the guys too, they, you know, it's easier for them to go to. They know what they're doing is fast and simple. And For us, it was nice because, uh, like I said, we were spending, the guys would go there in the morning at the time. They were going to the gas station. They were taking all this. So I sat down and, like, I literally figured out to the minute how much it cost us versus having that fuel tank on our shop site. And my dad saw that, and he's like, oh, I guess that makes sense. So, like, everything I had to present to my dad had to be, like, data-driven, which is fine. I didn't mind doing it, but I'd just tell him, and like, nah, all right, here. So I laid it out for him, and he's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Let's do that. So that's how, that's how I learned how I had to deal with my dad to get him, let's do this. Let's try this. You know? Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, David did a lot of that for us too, where David would put it together. And again, this goes back to the numbers. Like you, I know you're, I have a lot of training with that. And that's imperative. Started putting together our Excel spreadsheets and give us our numbers. That's critical. Yeah. That's not just something you can think about. It's something you should know about. Absolutely. Because you cannot, you cannot be in business and not understand what you're making or what you're losing or how much things are costing. Because we'll buy it. We can go to that. You can buy a truck or a mower or something and go, I mean, I got a mower. I could buy a used mower, a used truck. It doesn't matter if it's used or it's new. That's still a cost associated with running that truck. How much it costs a mile to run? How much does it cost to have the employees sitting in that truck driving that mile? What about the maintenance on the truck? And can you do the maintenance or do you have to sub out the maintenance? All these factors have to be in so you can actually run a business. And if you can't do that, it could be a nice hobby. (laughs) <laughs> but it can't be a business unless you know your numbers. <laughs> I was actually talking to a coaching client this morning, and I'm not going to share exact things, but we'll just say they, they, they went down and started looking at all their numbers. I broke it down to like how much for one-man team, two-man team, three-man team. Yeah. And I asked him for their mowing side of like what you typically use. He said, well, two-man. So we started running some numbers, and it came back that he was only making from what he was charging last year was only 12% gross profit, gross profit. I'm like, okay, what about all your overhead, you know, and your profit you want to have on there? It's like, oh, I guess. I'm like, yeah, you know, you've been struggling for a while. Let's let's look at this. We have to raise our rates or get new customers, whatever, but something has to change. So that, But he would have never known that or realized that unless he sat down and went through his numbers, like you said. And it's, it's imperative. I, I can't stress it enough, like you said. It, it's just... You have to. It's a necessity in this business. What it is, is it's a necessity if you want to be in business for any length of time. Well, sure. Do you know what I mean? Because the majority of our LCO industry, let's, let's be honest, it's easy to start. Yep. It's a relatively low overhang, easy to start business, which then anything that's in that nature creates a lot of competition, right? So if I want to be competitive and in an industry that's relatively easy to start and has a lot of competition, I've got to figure out a way to do it better. I got to be more efficient. I have to know my numbers. I have to know what I've got to charge to make a living with it. I have to know those things. Mm-hmm. Because anytime you have a super competitive business, if you don't know those, you you could be worse off than you were before you started. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean a person could be worse off in a business that they started if they had never started. Yep. You know, 
Absolutely. That brings me back to the importance of, I did this, and it's not for everybody, but I chose to pay for all my equipment before I did. There's a few things, you know, okay, I'll get a loan on it if I have to, but those for me in all these years were very, very few. When we bought our first, uh, even I, we had an excavating site where we had, I had Kenworths, I had triaxles, I had much larger equipment, we had multiple dozers. Even those, when I bought those, I could buy them at their thing, but their interest rate was 0%. So I used their money yeah. while I kept mine in the bank, you know, at that time. You know what I'm saying? Right. So oh, yeah. we could still buy the unit, but well, at that too, we'll just use their money. Yeah. You know? And an interesting thing too, when we first started the business, money is always tight. You know, especially when we had five kids. My wife is a finance genius. I have to give her credit. We had things that we'd put on credit cards. And then when that credit card would come due, well, at this time, well, there's another credit card that's got a 0% interest if you had just changed your balance over to us. <laughs> and so the first year, we did that a couple of times. Sure. When we first got going with stuff. But again, I never paid interest on any of my credit cards because we watched them sink. Again, that's interesting and dead. So yeah. that's not for everybody. Not everybody is going to do that as far as paying for their stuff. I just chose to do it that way. Maybe it's a little slower, good, bad, whatever. It did make me sleep well at night. So when uh, we get a job or we'd lose a job, I'd go, well, that's a bummer. Just go to the next one. Yep. You know? But the biggest thing is, is you understand your numbers. When you lose that job because somebody underbids you, you go, that's okay. Because I could not do that job and be profitable enough at the rate that they're going to do it. And if I'm going to lose money on it, I don't need more practice. <laughs> We've got plenty of that after all these years. <laughs> I don't need more practice. Then we're going to move on to the job, the next job that will pay what we need to be paid, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of going back to the organization, is there anything that you could think of or anything that you guys have done, whether it's at the landscaping side, the manufacturing side that you've done to really help keep things organized, to keep your tools organized or keep yourself organized? Is there anything that kind of stands out to you? Yeah, you know, and that, and that again, goes back to our shop layout. You know, in our shop, everything's laid out so it's easy to get at. And, you know, this is... And this isn't for everybody. Everybody's, you know, everybody's different. You know, we bought land so I could actually do something. You know, I was fortunate enough to come in at the right time to find a piece of property that gave us enough land. So we have a five-acre plot that our main shop sits in. We have another 11-acre plot where we have our salt barn and all our bins for our materials. It worked out for us. Again, that's where we in the shop. It's clean. Kind of anal retentive. I like a clean shop. Because then I like it to be organized. This way we can go in there and find what we need to. So all our tools are laid out nice and neat. Our equipment are like just our hand rakes, our chainsaws, our pole saws, trimmers, all have a place. Everything's laid out. Some tools are in the big bar where the trucks are because they're going to be used with the trucks. In the shop is the thing of hand tools that we use to repair things. So we have a couple bays so when a truck or a mower or something has to be fixed, we can pull it into the shop. You know, that was an investment over time and we just started buying the tools that we needed. You know, so imagine you come into the shop and you know, again, it's just laying it out. How can they lay it out so it's fast and efficient and clean? Oh my gosh, if you have a cluttered shop, and it just drives me nuts. It just, you know, it's a mess. It's got to be clean because nobody wants to work in the... His idea of messy, it's cleaner than most shops I've ever seen. <laughs> I've seen a lot of shops over the years. It's, well, it's good. It, it does make a difference. I, I was in a mastermind group a long time ago with other landscape business owners, and we got to travel around and see different businesses and stuff. And it was amazing just like just walking to certain shops. And like, I remember one shop, everything was like 
there were zero things on the bench and everything was like perfectly organized and you go to another shop. It was a little different, you know, little things here and there, you know, it's, it's just interesting to see people actually on that note, have you had people, I'm sure you have, but have you had employees that, you know, come into your business and you have everything organized and they weren't so organized. They just kind of threw things willy nilly. How did you handle that? Well, <laughs> David's back there waving his hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good tough call. It's kind of an individual call with each employee that you have. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had some employees that really didn't attach things good to the trailer, like our small power equipment, you know, and all of a sudden they come in and go, I don't know what happened to <laughs> you know? And I go, really? At that point, you know, you could do it a couple of ways. Somebody could get really mad and angry and yell at the person, but that doesn't gain me anything. It creates a rift between you, you as the boss and the employee. I'll yell at David because that's another story. I still have. But but you know what I mean? So generally when I have an issue, I just try to talk to him as if I was talking to you. I say, you know, it's kind of a bummer. You know, that everything that we do, that if we lose something or we don't put it away, costs us time, costs us, you know, money in the long run. It's money that I, I maybe we could do more, like get you a different piece of equipment that would be better. So everything we do that creates extra work you know, we have to figure out how to pay for that. You know, I try to instill a nice place, a nice place to work. I try to, I try to be nice. I try to be cordial. I try to treat them as how I'd want to be treated, except for Dave. That's another story. The end of the because yeah. I've seen a lot of people where they just get absolutely irate. I mean, I have bosses that got just yelling and really irate with something I did when I was, you know, a teenager working for him. And I remember that to this day, how much I hate it having to work for that person. And this is, I didn't do it for very long because I remember how I was treated. Most people leave their job, not because they hate their job, but because they can't stay in the management they're working for, right? This is a, you know, a common thing that we had at the steel mill for those 11 years here. there. When somebody becomes upset or unhappy with their work environment or their boss, then things don't go too well in the job because then they become more... Well, let's say mischievous. Right? Yeah. That could be mischievous with your equipment. That could be less caring of your equipment. So for me, I always try to create, hey, look, guys, please, let's take care of what you've got because we want to be able to use this for later. We try to make sure our equipment is, is taken care of. And we try to replace it when it needs to. But I'm also of the adage, I like to use it until it's not usable. Yeah. Because again, it's money. If that tool is still working, as long as it's not just nickel and diming me to death, that I'm going to use it. So to answer that question, you know, uh, the approach is to be kind. You know, it begins with the management. It begins with the person who's running the thing. You can't do that. Yeah, maybe there's another business for you. Because if you're at it, when we talk to our clients, an LCO operator, when he talks to his clients, um, if he's got a sour disposition, that will show up to his clients. And you can't have that. The client wants to have you to be their friend almost, you know? And if you can build a nice rapport just a couple minutes for that person, when it pays dividends. And you know yeah. what? They have paid dividends for us not in start with visits because we had nobody give us any money. Nobody, no influence to have anybody start funding us money. There was no, this was completely from scratch. There was no, we just put it together. You know what I mean? I didn't have any investors. I didn't have any rich uncles or stuff. I, I didn't. And it works for a lot of us. And a lot of us start the same way I did, just starting a little bit here and just starting to go. I was told a long time ago by one of my mentors was, uh, you can tell how well the business is organized by go looking at the owner's desk. And if a desk is a mess, 
their pride of their business and the pride of their life is probably a mess. And <laughs> what that tell you? I'm not the butter. Did you see my desk, Mike? <laughs> he always says he's like Einstein because his desk's a rat nest. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Look, if you can see it, you can see, my desk, I try to keep it pretty organized now, yeah. good or bad, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, to me, it's kind of true. It does, for the most part, I'd say it pretty much stands out for the business that I've been to. It's been that way. If you kind of see it, like, I can see why this place is running the way it is. And, you know, okay, now I'm not necessarily judging, but okay, now what we can do from there. It's it's just always what we do forward. But it's just awkward. Is there anything that have you ever run into any issues where things have, uh, you know, been disorganized that really stood out and you realized afterwards I could have done this different? Is there anything that kind of pops out at you? You know, I think that's true for all of us in the LCO industry. You know, we all run across areas. You go, well, that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Whether we bid incorrectly, which that happens, it just happens. Yeah. You know, you just hope you don't have too many of those. And the disorganizing things, and I've been, I've fallen short of that. And David's coming and said, you know what, realistically, and this is where management or the boss or the owner really needs to be in tune with it as an employee. Because, you know what, I'm not the brightest bulb in the light bright <laughs> and not the end all of all, right? I'm not. But if I surround myself, with people that are intelligent, with people that have got ideas, which we all do, makes a big difference to listen. Sometimes the best thing you can do is listen. And when not the best of that, I still work at that. But let's say I've had many times where I've done something or I'm getting ready to do something and David or one of the other employees will say, why rich? Because they can talk to me and that's what I want. They say, you know, realistic, why, have you thought about doing it this way? And sometimes I go, well, yeah, I did, but we're not going to do it that way. Mm-hmm. And other times I go, Geez, okay, that's a that's a brilliant idea, you know. And I let them voice their opinion, tell me what they think, because you know what? If you've got five, ten, or six, you know, let's say five or ten different employees, some will come up with some ideas, some won't. But the number one thing is, is they need to feel comfortable to talk mm-hmm. to you as the boss or the owner or whatever or the manager, right? They need to have that rapport, that comfort to do that. And so David often will tell me, "But why well, I think you're stupid." Now tell me now. <laughs> And I go, well, that's brilliant. You know? <laughs> and then, you know, and he'll have ideas and I'll say, oh, gosh, I, I didn't think of that. So yeah. when it comes to disorganizing areas, the owner, the boss, needs to be able to listen to the employees that are around him. And if he can listen, that's a real skill, is to be able to listen. Mm-hmm. My wife tells me that's a real skill and I need a lot more work on it. But anyways, <laughs> if you can listen, you can learn a lot and you can adjust in in this business, in our LCO industry, you've got to be able to adjust. But so oftentimes, you employers will come up with an idea that will just lead us into our path. We go, you just didn't even think of that. So to answer your question, it's listening. It's, it's hearing what your employees be because we all run into those. We all run into the spots where you go, well, it wasn't such a great idea. Or that was a bad bid. You know, yeah. what can we do better next time? So that's how we generally try to hit I think that's smart because I feel just because I did would do the same thing, having somebody else kind of throw ideas out to you. I feel like I earn more respect from that person, from my foreman or whatever, because I let them throw some ideas out there. And I, I think I earn more respect with them and I earn their respect because, oh, that is a great idea. You know, and I don't I have to be the end all be all with everything. I, I love hearing their input. So I've, I've never had any problem with that. I think that's a leadership skill many people have to learn to to deal with. It's it's yes. something you have to learn and, and train and practice with, I should say. And with this, that, that it's a skill. You know, that's that takes uh, refinement oftentimes. Yeah. One thing that we did 
was um, we had, we called them what's dumb around here meetings. And everybody gets together. We come in the morning and tell everybody you have to come present at least one idea of something that's dumb around here, something you don't think is working well or something we could change. But the only thing is you have to at least have at least some kind of idea of how we can go about fixing it. Not saying it has to be perfect, but any idea. And it's awesome kind of hearing some of those things and like some an outside perspective on whatever. You know, we've had people tell us about organize our, our, our trailers better or the layout of the shop or whatever where things are it just it's interesting to see some of those things like huh he's right yeah i never thought about it this way or or there's been ideas that are like really dumb and like okay cool i heard you you're not saying that to them obviously but you're thinking in your head i heard you okay good thank you yeah and move on yeah. but that was a big thing when we instilled the what's dumb around here meetings just kind of it's kind of a fun atmosphere too you know it, it can't be stressful it's just fun here that is a great idea actually that's a great idea yeah especially when you have enough crew and enough people looking up Again, there's something I'd never thought about, so. but it is kind of a like-mindedness way to get everybody involved. I think when I started doing that, that's when people started to feel comfortable to come up to me and tell me certain things. Not knocking my dad, but my dad had a different way of, of leadership than I did. And he was kind of more old school and in your face and yelling at you where I'm like, I want your input and I would do that. And people over time doing that became more comfortable coming to me, telling me something rather than my dad. Then I may have to go relay that information to my dad if it was needed. But to me, that kind of helped build that culture and, and help, in my opinion, really honestly keep people longer in our business. Oh, yeah. Well, that's it. And here, that, that just brought up a really important part, retention. Mm -hmm. Retention in the LCO industry is really a challenge. Yes. And, and, that, uh, and it is. And that's just the nature of the, the, the business, right? If an employee feels like he's got a, a say, a feeling of, I know I don't want to call that ownership, but maybe that's what it feels like. They've got a feeling of belonging. Boy, that makes a big difference in, in keeping people. We've had, you know, we get a lot of changes, but a lot of our employees have been long-term. Long-term meaning in the LCO industry is, you know, three to five years. If you keep somebody in that, that's that's pretty decent. You know, it, it makes all the difference to be able to listen, to be able to just go ahead and pull them in and get them involved as much as they can. And again, that doesn't mean that the owner or the boss is going to, you know, succumb to every win that that owner or that employee may come to, but like you did, at least to acknowledge the fact that, hey, you know, that, you know that's, the, that's an idea, you know, it, it may work, but, you know, I, I think at this time we're just going to keep doing this. Or, hey, no, that's a great idea. You know, we should implement that now and make that change. Yeah, no, that's, it's like you said, it's, it's hard in this industry. And I, I kind of pride myself on that we had multiple people that stayed 10 plus years in our business. Oh, that's really good. The longest guy we had, he was just shy of 15 years. So I think that to me, that was that was pretty good. And That's really good. Yeah. That's one of the things I will pat myself on the bat for because it was, it was hard. And, and, and you know, in this area, because it's a seasonal business here, we tend to lose people over the spring or winter time and they don't always come back. So it, it, to me, it was, it was kind of a highlight, I would say, of, of things that I've done just to help keep the people and keep crews happy and then just keep everybody involved. And again, it goes back to... You build a, a, a rapport, as you build mm -hmm. a, an ability for them to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. If they feel comfortable, your employees feel comfortable talking to you. You're right. They're more apt yeah. to stay with you. So in our industry, as an owner, a boss, that skill is imperative, as, as well as learning your numbers, right? You have to be, yeah. well, I guess you can say, a people person in some instance. Yeah. So you can chat with them, so you can listen to them and acknowledge the fact that you know they've got our ideas. That does make a difference. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about JLM and the types of products. I know you mentioned a little bit earlier about the baskets and stuff and go in the front. Yeah. 
now they all pretty much they all connect to snowplow mounts is that correct yeah so you know on that side of the business again that goes back to you know we oddly enough because you have trailers we have to fix them so we do uh, all of our own fab work you know i had a lot of welding experience in, in that so uh, fabrication is not a big deal so we would we just started building things we needed we built tools for our excavator tools for our skids too we just go oh this would be a good idea and this is building and so since we had some fab skills and welding skills huh you know we would just make what we needed right so on jln that just kind of grew out of trying to be more efficient like we talked about earlier we just tried to develop products that would help us right mm-hmm. so what we did is we developed them for western plows wash soap plows once we started going and seeing that there might be an interest in it and it worked for us maybe somebody else would be interested in it also so Wester, Boss, Fisher, Minor, we haven't got, but Silway, you know, all those plows, we made this, let's call it a carrier. For those that are familiar with the industry, a front-end loader has a, a quick mount called the JCB front mount. It looks like that. If, if you get saying, so you have quick attached on a front-end loader. But imagine this carrier slides into your plow mounts. And it, it slides in there. And now you have this carrier on the plow mount. And then David did all the cab work. I mean, we talked about what we wanted. From the carrier that's into the plow mounts, now you have attachments that just hang on the carrier. So for us, we took, and this goes back to our trucks. I got to do this for a second. This is my squirrel moment. I took the landscape, the uh, pickup beds off our trucks. Just got rid of them. We took the beds off our trucks and we built our own flatbeds. Because for me, a truck is it's a work vehicle. And the best way to make that truck work is to have the space available on the back of that bed. Now it took David a little while to convince me to do that. And that was one of his ideas, but we created and made our own flatbeds, you know, because I couldn't find one that I liked. So we just made our own, mm-hmm. right? So we made those. And then on the front of the truck, we decided with these carriers, we wanted a place to hang like our pool. So if we had a big, uh, a bobcat attachment, I've been sitting on the bed in the bobcat in the trailer, our trap loader with some other attachment, like a grappler or something, he couldn't put everything in there. But again, I could put the big bush hog or the six foot or seven foot bush hog on the back of the truck in the flatbed, the other stuff on the trailer, in the front of the truck on our carrier. Now all of a sudden we can haul our weed whackers, our spools, our fuel tanks, our cone holders, because we made cone holders, because you got to have cones if you're out on the road. So we put a place for cone holders, so you'd have a toolbox, cone holders, all the stuff in the front of the truck. Trucks are too darn expensive to not utilize the truck completely. We just don't think of the truck front of the truck as being useful. They get a lot of people saying, oh, it's going to catch the truck on fire. It's going to overheat. The dot, dot, dot. No, we've never had a problem. I can tow the trap loader that's 12,000 pounds with the toolbox in the front, the cone holders, all that stuff on it, and they don't overheat. Modern cooling systems are, are adequate. You know, we're not blocking the old front of the truck. I had a time zone worth of toolbox. It's a buyer's toolbox from around the front. Anyways, the lid flipped up, completely blocked the radiator. I'm towing a trailer home. I now you run the gauges on our truck so we can see the display. It's saying well, what, what the temperatures are. You look at trains temperatures. Now that's funny. The gate must have flipped up because now I'm two degrees hotter than what I was normally. <laughs> you know what I mean? So JLM was invented or we designed it so we could be a little bit more efficient with that stinking expensive truck. So I can carry stuff in the front of the truck and have my flatbed full of something else. Because when we put like the bush hog in the back of the bed, that fills the bed. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes up the entire space of that truck. And then I have oftentimes the track loader, our, our, our big track loader in the back with a grapple or something else. Or I have the dozer blade I'll put on the bed 
you know, depends on the job we're doing. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm eradicating another truck in another train, yep. hence the flatbed. But JLM's idea was to utilize the truck, everything, front, back, everything. Smart. You know, and so those products just came out. We build them all here. We have a, a CNC plasma table that we, we invested in. We have a, a model, a CNC 50-ton uh, hydraulic brake press. That's CNC operator that we have. We have uh, multiple welders, plasma torch, hand torches, hydraulic pipe benders, and tube benders. Yeah, it's kind of an odd. That goes back to the eclectic weirdness of, a, of our landscape business. <laughs> but we did all this so we can build whatever we need despite everything. Um, so you mind sharing uh, just some, some of the types of products? I know you have a bunch of different types of attachments. You mind just sharing some of those with the listeners? Yeah, so imagine this carrier is pushed into the plow mounts. Looks like a bull bar. It looks like a bull bar. There's a bar at the top and a bar at the bottom. And so if you're looking at it, they're two parallel bars that are parallel with the ground, right? Separated um, by about, was it 18 inches apart, the bars? Uh, roughly 16 to 16 inches apart. Two parallel bars. So for those that can see your podcast on YouTube, we've got two parallel bars attached that go into the truck. So on that carrier, we have attachments like we run a two-inch receiver hitch we can bolt into the into that carrier. The cone holders bolt to the carrier. We made the carrier's design so that somebody who has fab work that they can do in their own place, they can attach lights to it. We have a light bar bracket. We have a license bag bracket for it. We have a basket so we can put two wheelbarrows. You know, they eight, they eight cubic foot wheelbarrows, you know, the big yellow dual wheel ones. Yep. A basket that uh, didn't put the wheelbarrows in, a plate compactor. We have a 30-gallon water tank, 50-gallon water tanks that you can put on the front. Think about this. We carry a 1,200-pound plow in front of our truck that sticks literally four feet in front of the axle. <laughs> no. And eight feet wide. And eight feet wide. So we're those in the center. We're used to putting stuff in the front of our trucks, you know? So we yep. just put a basket on it. We put the tools or the accessories that we need to use. For us in the summer, we have a toolbox with our cone holders attached to this carrier. It just literally hooks on and pins. No tools. So you can change out attachments really quick. Uh, but ours, we run the four-foot toolbox. We put our gas in there, our, our triggers, hedge triggers, triggers full string. You know, stuff that's easy to walk off. That goes back because we have a flatbed. I hate to say it, but things like to just grow legs and leave. It, it happens. We've got some things just uh, grow legs and leave on us at certain areas. Out of sight, out of mind, we put it in the front toolbox. And for us, it works. You know, we have a system where they can mount. Gosh, we've got them so they got some guy put his Yeti. He runs his Yeti cooler in front of his truck. We've had a few customers that are bought them up out west and or out east, you know, um, that you utilize them. One of the biggest things that we've had, you know, that we love that system and it works great for us. And we have our website developed for that. We're working on a Shopify site. But one of the other things we developed, and everybody knows about this at Bausul, we have a skid loader. A person, a, a company, they have a skid loader. What's the first thing they do? They take the uh, summer tires off and they put these skinny winter tires on their skid steer. Why do they do it? Because they know it's going to provide better traction and they can plow with it and they don't destroy their expensive summer tire. Well, we develop a setup for compact wheel though. And so we run, we call them our polar grip snow tires. And the idea again, this all goes back to trying to be better than what we were before. This is that 1% principle, right? Knowing my numbers, how much in the car show is not about how much gas we're using, how much fuel am I burning? So we developed, after David had to convince people of it, because it's an investment. Mm-hmm. We ran the numbers, figure out what kind of fuel we're using, what we're losing, how much we're spinning on the tire, blah, blah, blah. So we ran a 244J John Deere. And what we developed are a way to attempt 
semi-tires, 11R22-5s uh, or 11R24-5s that the John Deere wheel, we call them polar grip wheels. So we talk to man axle manufacturers, all the different axle manufacturers that we can find that deal with case in Holland. So we're Gell, yeah, um, I've been talking with Takaguchi. We've got it. We talked to them all so we could get their bolt patterns and all that stuff and figure out offset stacing and everything like that. Companies where we could buy the rims and we developed these wheels so you can take the same idea that you would use on the sit stick and apply it to a compact wheel loader. And now on a compact wheel loader, I'm running taller tires. They're thinner tires, meaning they're narrower. So one, I picked up ground speed on our 244J and we picked up three mile an hour rump speed. That road speed for me versus the guy next to me, I just want to be one person there. He's running 18 mile an hour, depending on the dairy yet, 18.6 mile an hour, I'm doing 21 to 22. If I had a faster deer, like the newer models that are running 22, 23 now, like put my taller tires on route, I'm gaining an equivalent two or three more mile an hour. So what I tell people is they say, look at this. In that eight hour day, or let's say six hours that we're plowing snow, because we all do, for those that are have a combat wheel owners, I'm going even just two mile an hour faster than you. In six hours, when covering and roading 12 more miles, I can go farther than you. I can get to waste sites faster. I'm not stinging my wheels. I'm not burning up my extensive silver tire. Yes, all, all these things go back to just what can I do that's a little bit better with the competition I'm dealing with. Hence, what are my numbers? How much does it cost me to do this? And what am I going to gain from? You know, if I understand and know those things, you can make a living doing being an LCU. Some people do really well, and kudos to them, and I'd love to hear about them. But even in the normal order, let's call, you know, I'm going to say just a normal LCO. It's supported my family. It's supported my employees. You know, I'm not going to say well, but you know what? We've all been able to do what we wanted to do. And it's all about being a little bit better than what I was before, and not how much I made, but how much I kept. And how could I keep more in my pocket than I'm spending? I love it. Great information. For those that are interested in finding a little bit more about JLM, how can they get hold of you? How, where, what's the website and everything? Our website is www.jlmoutfront.com. Our Facebook is, you know, facebook.com slash outfrontmonts. And that's it. We have an Instagram page and we have a YouTube page that we're working on. My son, uh, Bryce Johnston, is um, our social media guy. And he's, he does all our videos. So we have some videos up of the, the production of how we make um, our carriers. You know, who does our powder coating for them? You know, we have our uh, our Landscape Facebook page, and you know, um, Facebook slash Johnston Landscape. So students to be able to go out there and see some things we've done. You know, and um, those are our website pages and our Facebook pages. And those are the best way to get out there and see what we really, it's worked for us, you know? I just love, like you said, just the getting 1% better, being a little more organized, a little more efficient with your your time and just using something that's not, it's really just what kind of, I shouldn't say wasted space, but it, you know, it's, space is not getting used for anything else and having it. And it's also a safety issue. So there's a lot of factors just having that implement on there. So it's awesome. Again, it worked for us and we yeah. developed them for us. Yeah. And we found that other people have gone, oh, that's a great idea. It works for them too. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully it'll work for them. We're not going away. We've been in the last eight business for a while. We like what we do. We like the manufacturing side. We, listen, we like to do that too. For those yeah. LCO, for the operators out there, the most important things are learn what your business costs you to run. And in your sense, with your coaching, they need to have somebody that can coach them. Imperative that they learn that numbers because it's not only good for them individually, it's good for the entire industry. Because as soon as everybody could be on the same page and understand how to run their business, 
our whole industry is better. So it's a major benefit to learn, right? Knowledge is power. And it is is truly needing to be there. Learn your numbers. Be kind to your employees. Create an environment that works for people. Make it so that the employees don't feel slighted when they come to work. Mm-hmm. Give them an opportunity to grow. You know, when yep. you have certain things and certain employees, give them the chance to grow. Listen to their ideas. And those things are, I think, are essentials. You know, learn how to fix your own stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. Like, I don't know how some of these people send all this stuff out. I'm like, holy cow, that has to cost an arm and a leg. I mean, I get certain things if you don't have the yeah. equipment or whatever. Absolutely. But for the basic stuff, you should be able yeah. to at least learn or have somebody learn from your team. <laughs> yeah. In fact, you know, think about the guy that's just mowing. He's only doing mowing. And he has to sub his blades out to be sharper. He has to sub out the work to do that. If you're having to pay somebody to take care of all the routine maintenance then your zero turns or your walk balloons or even your little small commercial mowers, you gotta know how to do that. Yeah. Because it'll it'll eat you up. The labor costs to send equipment will eat you up. well we did we ran the numbers after a while. We had a part time mechanic that would come in and just help keep up some of the stuff because we yeah, we were over a million dollar business. So we had you know quite a few pieces of equipment and stuff and things would break and just have them come in and help keep things going just here and there. It was worth it after a while, but for the longest time it was my dad and myself. That was it. You know, I'd be after the job's all done, you're in there till hours at whoever knows at night trying to fix weld bang whatever you had to do to get it back going. Yeah. So to get it back to life. Yeah. And but but the ending it too, see there the the important message is you knew your numbers. Yeah. So you knew when you could afford or when it was beneficial to have that part time mechanic come in. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, and again that goes back to your coaching. They have to know that. Yeah. Because then you could Picked it up, so you were, you had somewhat of a life, and you could put your time into other things. Yeah. So that's what it was: is is understanding the numbers and realizing I can go out and do more in making sales and and doing the other things that, and then have somebody else do the the repair of something. It was just it just made financial sense, and we could sell more work and do things. So yeah. But it's just it's like you said, you you ran the numbers, you ran the numbers into how to get that machine two miles an hour faster or whatever. Yeah. And everything you done it, it, you have to spend the time doing it. You can't just keep going out doing things over and over and why is it not getting better if you're not checking that stuff so you don't have any idea you're just guessing <laughs> yeah well, it is really funny when you start looking when we start doing data put together an entire spreadsheet so we figured out when we go like i'm just mowing me how many linear feet of trimming are you doing because trimming is usually the most expensive thing it's your turn mowing you're just mowing is relatively quick and easy for the most part but that guy trimming often depends you know time wise so in our calculations it was how many linear feet of mowing how many square foot of grass is cutting? How much time is it going to take for him to walk to blow things off? How much area do you have to blow off? And that leads me to another thing we did. None of my zero-turn mowers are side discharge. I have none. Everything we have is true mulching decks. Good or bad, people will say, well, I, mean, I didn't do that. But I have never in 22 years had a discharge from a mower, break a glass, dent a window, or within a car, or hit siding. In 22 years, I've had a problem. Now, in the spring, it takes a little bit more horsepower. It takes a little bit extra cleaning time, right? There's some, there's some nuances with that. But for me, it's perception. How does the person that's driving down the road see me when I'm at just along the property? What do they perceive me to be? Am I the guy with the side discharge blowing it on the road? Am I blowing it onto their house? Am I blowing the grass on their landscape beds? I didn't want to do that. Perception of our industry. That's everything for a business count. So for us... We mulch. I can trim on the right side and trim on the left side with the mower. When we go around the properties, 
and my cleanup and blow off is negligible. So there's a little bit more time in blowing, less time in cleanup. So in our calculations in Excel, when Dana put it together, linear feet, mowing square footage, how long is it going to take to blow off? How long is it going to take to get there? We figured out the routes. So how many miles am I driving there? How many people are in the truck? How much gas does that trimmer use for a given month? How much gas does the lawnmower use? We figure out how much gas the lawnmowers are using when they're running. How much string are we using? That's kind of subjective, but you're trying to get a guess. Yep. Now, we tried to look at every little iota of everything that was being spit and put it in a spreadsheet. And then we said, okay, we need to have X amount of percentage of profit from that property and those calculations to Dick. And my hat's off to him. We put it all together so we can look at it and go, okay, we need 10% profit or 12 or 15 or 20 or whatever. Type that number in and we can look and see what our numbers are. So when we do a property estimation, we can look and calculate instantly what it should be. Now that takes some experience and we can look at the market value. Well, okay, well, the market's really bearing here. If I lower that profit percentage down to 1% or 2%, can we still do it? Now uh, we still have enough to make it worth our while. And so we've done it that way. I love it. Oftentimes we're a little higher. Our values are a little higher than most. But having that spreadsheet know your errors makes a big difference. So everybody needs a David. <laughs> everybody needs a David because, you know, I had to to him. A CAD designer and uh, basically an engineer with CAD and in Excel. It's yeah. made all the difference because that's how we did JLM too. We set it all up so we figured out material costs and time, plasma time, end time, blah, 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 blah. And so we could actually calculate a cost for each property. David, you uh, have any thoughts or anything you want to add to anybody out there? He's pretty well covered at all. Um, okay. The wheels, I sat there and I thought about it because we had done the same thing our skits here. And I can literally tell that it does help the actual push. Team series, you don't run them out, run them out the road, so that doesn't for that. But I did the math. I'm looking at the machine that I've been running for years. I'm like, there is this much space over top of the wheel for a defender. There's room work. I'm there and I'm doing, I'm thinking about doing the math. Like, and I find a tire calculator, I figure out the differences. I'm like, I'm saving 36 seconds every mile I go down the road. And my route's 12 or 14 miles when I'm plowing it. And then previously, we'd had a big three yard lower than my little one. And we, we do a big warehouse where it was a over quarter mile, all the US run. And all these, uh, this if we got more than four inches of snow, I could not do a straight push. I'd have to go out the middle and push out from the middle to each end. Once I put the new tire on, since they're significantly narrower, I was able to push past this three-yard loader. Yeah. <laughs> and then going down the road, we actually, one time was, you know, three o'clock in the morning, we came back on the four-way highway. I passed it. Yeah, it was in the <laughs> 49. Okay. It was pretty easy. It was highway 49. We were going north. So we're heading from, like, the county ferret rounds, going down 49, heading north. Okay. On Indiana 49, usually he walked away. Yeah, he's always in. As he's his fast machine. Yeah. I No, he couldn't keep up. Oh, he was pretty irritated at that point. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I was just, seriously? <laughs> yeah, because mine was a, what was it, Dushan? It was a DL250. He started a 6,000 pound machine. It was a great machine. You know, at that time, we bought him new. And when he went past me and I couldn't catch him, I thought, are you kidding? You already <laughs> need to catch me. The hydrates of the efficient climbing hill. But once I got yeah. back on the flat, I ran with him. <laughs> and, and that's where I was. It was that simplicity of going. And it, nice. It, it made it fast. So there's not only those factors, but there's the fact you need to don't think about. Those yeah. tires, the stock ones on the machine, they're $2,500 a piece, $3,000 a tire. For De- yeah, depending on the machine. So some of them get for less, but still. My machine's a 2009. We still have the stock tires because we switched to these snow tires about eight years ago. 
Yeah. Nice. They're a little worn. You know, the summer tires are a little worn. No, they're good for summer work. They, yeah. I would not allow them. No. Yeah. Well, if they're fine for summer work. Even though you look at our, our entire cost, is probably going to be between 55 and 6000 depending on shipping to get them somewhere. You then compare that to what it's going to cost you to replace the stock tires and then add the benefits of running them. There's also includes a, a slightly lower fuel burn, I've noticed. I went from about 1.7 gallons per hour to 1.3 or 1.4. Okay. Because of, probably because of my rolling basis. Yeah, I'm spending less time roading. I'm getting to where nice. it would be a little bit faster. I'm not spinning my tires. I can actually plow faster, period. I can spend my plow faster, so I'm not trying to pick up piles over and over again. I just can't know. I can make full long pushes. That's- so there's all kinds of benefits to these sites. And we sold five or six sets. No, six, seven, eight, seven out. A lot to New York, one to Canada, Minnesota, I think. Yeah, I've had a couple of guys here, well, our local guys that are bought in here. We've got one, we sold one set to a guy who has two identical machines. Yeah. One has them, one does not. The guy that does not have them hates the guy that does. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's funny because we don't personally you know. So it's, it's funny to listen to your yeah, jab each other, you know, because the one's fast. And they know it, you know, so it's fun to see it. You know, and those are things. It works. It was a great little setup that we did. You know, we did it for us. And we said, oh, that's a good idea. Let's see if somebody else would like it. So we sell a few sets. But how about this? Not one person who's bought them, they've all understood as soon as they put them on the machine, they recognize the benefit, increased speed, increased traction. And those tires, we had one set on there for six years. Six, six, years. six straight singing. <laughs> wow. I burned off maybe a six, six divot on an inch. <laughs> and then shredded for an inch and 16 feet. Wow. They're logging tires from Semi. Yeah. Nice. So they had low strength, they, they offered great tractions. And if you add up in a wreck one, you know, hop up while you're running. Just call any semi service place. Uh, they can come put a tire on for four hundred bucks. Sure, four hundred to five hundred dollars. Boom! You got a you got a new tire on. That's 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 nice. <laughs> Unlike you're gonna burn. Yeah, I mean, so we're a unique shop in that sense. Yes, that we can we do all this stuff here. We can we we do it. We still mow. We still do landscape projects. You know, we don't do any more realistically like landscape designs. We're not doing water work. You know, water uh, features. For us, it's mm-hmm. a lot of maintenance. You're going to get into a lot of equipment. Excavators, track loaders, mini track loaders. Mini track loader, by the way, gosh, that's one of the best tools you can buy. Like a ditch witch or dingo that class. Yeah, we bought an SK ditch witch SK800. I love it. Absolutely been the best. I can say that's almost been our best moneymaker lately. They're a game changer. Once you get one, you're like, how did I do this stuff without it? <laughs> that's literally what we said. Yeah, yeah that's really it. Yeah. That's really it. We've done a lot of jobs that we couldn't do. Because we have the bigger stuff, but then we fill that niche and it's just like in heaven. The other thing we did out in one of our shops, we have a bunch of attachments for our bobcat in our ditch. Week. I have a plethora of attachments. And that was because it I could save a minute and not hurt my back because I'm getting lazy. And I can have a piece of it. We'll do that job for me. We're going to buy it. You know, because you could do it. So we palletized everything outside in the big shops. So one of our shops is just a wall of all pallets, you know, pallet racking. Mm-hmm. And each attachment has its own place. From snow blowers to grapples to bush hogs to a vibratory roller to hardly rake dozer blades. The only thing that we store outside are the buckets. Yeah, that had it. Everything is under a roof. Yeah. And they're on a rack too, though. <laughs> yeah, nice. The buckets have to be on a rack. I don't put them on the ground. You know what I mean? They all have their little spot where they reside. That's smart. That's what we did. We have the same thing. We have pallet racks. Yeah. Our local Sam's Club was getting rid of them a long time ago. So when dad went over there, got them, purchased them, whatever. And yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. 
so much such a space saver <laughs> just that cell yes and it, again like we chatted earlier in the discussion the organization yep yeah it's a way to organize the disorganize yeah you know? absolutely well one thing that uh landscape office should uh, keep in mind is don't be afraid to go outside of your industry to do work we yeah. have a job of local warehouse right near us where it's been empty for five years well they were going to get it ready to to bring in some new new people um a new company dollar job moved in and then there's a a trailer component yeah. acting lipper and lippert industries or something. they okay. had all the old power racking that was put up 50 years ago i think oh man it was old they needed it taken out they needed they just needed man out so we mm-hmm. went in and we did that in one winter and it wasn't snowing yeah it was three weeks of winter work while it wasn't snowing then we removed acres there was oh my gosh we sold up so much um steel racks and that's a good point, you know. <laughs> Why that goes back to being eclectic, not not being afraid to to reach out just a little bit out of your niche. We've also cleaned up repossessed homes. We not all the garbage dumps, or we tore down homes. Yeah, we've gone down and traded in the trailers at trailer parks. Yeah, we've done a lot yep. of demolition. Yeah, we do the same thing in the wintertime. We used to go up to Gary. We got called up to Gary a couple times, a town near us. Yeah, we go there, clean up some of those homes up there in the wintertime with keep our crews busy. We tried pallet repair. For a while in the wintertime, we only did that one season. That was a terrible idea. Uh, it was terrible, so don't recommend that. But we, you know, we tried. Like you said, you have to be willing to try different things and see if it works. And some are winners, and some aren't. So <laughs> yeah, and, and that's exactly. It. But you know what? And they all said, first can still make a living at. Yep. First can still do okay as an LCO. Mm-hmm. And yep. even in regards to all the competition, if you do it right and you understand and don't sink yourself into debt. Because mm-hmm. debt, you got to remember that interest never sleeps. It doesn't care if you're sick. It doesn't care if you don't feel good that day. It doesn't care if it's raining. Interest never sleeps. Yep. So if you can kind of keep that under control in your debt and build your business and just don't try to do everything right away and just really grow it steadily, I think it'll pay dividends for a very competitive industry. Absolutely. I'm sure you've seen in some of the areas around here. Or some there's some landscapers. I, I question how much debt they have, and they had driving around these brand new trucks and like everything, like overnight. It's not like it was built up. It was like, no. damn, like holy cow, what? what exactly. Did you get win the lottery or something? What's going yeah. on? And, and we see it all the time. Well, how many yeah. how many fire sales have we seen at the end of the winter when they went out <laughs> all these trucks and all these plows and all said, oh, at the end of the winter we had not a good winter. And yeah. all this stuff's for sale. Yeah. In my business, I've never counted winter money in the business. In other words. The monies we are during the year are the making the time we're making money. The winter is just a caveat. Yes. Hey, I'm gonna buy a piece of equipment with my winter money I just earned. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. So winter money for us is never accounted for. In other words, I don't count on it being there. Look at the winters we had lately. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for us in in the, in the northern hemisphere, or not hemisphere, but the northern areas where we yep. like the plow money. Yeah. No, it's smart. Guys, this has been an amazing conversation. I appreciate all your your input and your thoughts and everything you guys shared with us. Is there anything you'd like to share with any of the audience before we uh, head out today? No, I think we bored them long enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> One piece of advice I would give is don't fuse busy with productive. Yes. Yeah. If you're yes. just doing things and doing things doing things and not actually getting anywhere, why? Why yeah. wasting your time? Then- yeah, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. That's a, that's a smart thing. Guys, go check out JLM. They got some amazing products on there. They do some amazing things. Again, it's all about being organized, about being efficient, using what you have, and just simply being able to slide it into your already existing plow frame. That's genius. So 
Guys, I encourage you to go check their program out. Go hit them up on social media. Give them a like. Give them a follow. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, David. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate you guys being here today. Look forward to having you guys back on the podcast. This has been fun. Yeah, please. We'd love to. We'd love to bore your uh, people again. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to come out, pay you guys a visit or something, and uh, see your shop and everything. I'd love to love to do that someday. Yo, you're sure you should come by and see that, and that could be something we could. We'd love to show you how we've organized our stakes. Yeah, you know that'd be an amazing time. Maybe we'll do a little YouTube video or something. So perfect. All right. All right, guys. Love it, love it. Thank you, guys, and we'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. That's a wrap on another exciting episode here of the Millionaire Landscape Podcast. Now, thank you for joining us on this journey, and thank you for being a member of our community. Remember our motto, do it dirty means just get started and not be afraid of making mistakes. We honestly believe this is one of the keys to the success in this industry and in life. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment, head over to Apple, and leave us a review. Your support helps us reach more listeners and bring even more value to the show. Until next time, keep doing it dirty and grow your business to new heights.